Hello and welcome to another episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Right now broadcasting live from my studio and trying to put together another show here this evening. Here to talk about some photographs, um, some of the photography projects that I've been working on and see if we can talk about uh, anything else, any other questions that other people have or are interested in. So, um, so far this evening, I've uh, been kind of trying to think about a couple things to talk about. A few of the recent projects that I've been trying to put together as uh, photography stuff goes. And this is one of the first episodes that I'm trying to do a simulcast uh, to Periscope. Hopefully everybody on Periscope is enjoying looking at the waveforms being recorded in Audition right now. Um, I think later on the episode is going to be available at BillyNewmanPhoto.com as soon as I get around to it. And probably my SoundCloud account. Maybe I'll even tweet this one out. But uh, but this evening, I just got off work. And let me turn down that bed of music a little bit. I just got off work uh, where I was doing photographs today. And I'm trying to do a bunch of stuff right now. I found out today in the, in the local paper, I had one of my photographs featured, which I feel pretty good about. I'm happy about this one. Uh, it was part of a commercial photography shoot that I did. One of the first ones that I've ever actually uh, had the chance to really work through. And uh, I did like I did like photojournalism stuff for the school newspaper. <laughs> Doesn't sound too serious when I say it that way. Uh, for the university paper, the Daily Barometer, Oregon State University. I was a staff photographer for uh, a little over a year um, during uh, during my time at school there. And it was a great opportunity to to get in a lot of photojournalism experience and kind of understand how that world works. And so that's what I tried to apply when I stepped into uh, to trying to do a commercial photo shoot. Now, I'm not a commercial photo photographer or commercial photo shoot photographer in any real way. And in fact, a lot of ways, I'm probably a practicing amateur is maybe what I put on it. Um, at least uh, that's a, a more regular way to state it. My gear is outdated. My process is probably alternative to most. I don't work weddings. I don't really get hired to do that many things, but I am focused on trying to get the photographs that I want, trying to get the photographs that really express the meaning and interest of the thing that I'm trying to trying to capture. I don't want to get, I don't know, too high and, and mighty or too technical about the photography aspect of it or you know the, the pixel peeping aspect of it all um, but what I'm more interested in is expression and is in art it's in colors or it's in you know that sort of development so that's kind of what I'm most excited to, to try and express or to talk about and with this commercial photo shoot I was trying to photograph a, uh, a, a Winnebago like a like a motorhome <laughs> Um, which went really well. It was cool. It was a good, a good opportunity. I mean, my main focus is in camping and is an outdoor adventure tourism. And that's kind of what I want to build on and uh, try and develop a career in, you know, uh, doing photographs, doing media and content generation for outdoor adventure, outdoor adventure tourism companies. Um, or, you know, just like, I don't know, some kind of media buy associated with that. And that's what I've had the most practice in is doing outdoor landscape. Uh, production stuff. So when it came to do this commercial shoot, it was with a Winnebago and we took it up to the, the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm that's uh, up north of here in Woodburn. And so we uh, got an old couple together, um, somebody retired and in their 60s, you know, a group. And uh, we took them up to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm, uh, set him out. And the, the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm uh, group was really nice to us. Uh, they let us just kind of drive out into the service roads of their tulip fields and set up a van and try and photograph it after sunset. So that worked out really well for us. Uh, it was pretty cool. 
But we just set it up in a few different locations, try to photograph just the unit, just the vehicle by itself, and then try and photograph some of the landscape elements around it. What was so cool about this place was just the acres and acres and acres of, of multicolored tulips. So there was one patch that was a whole acre of just red tulips and then a whole patch of tulips that were just yellow and multicolored or pink or mixed or some crossbred variety of something else. And so it was a really good, good opportunity to go up there. I scouted it out. I think that's pretty important too. I think it's I think it's important to get a chance to just kind of get um, I've heard this term on the news a couple of times. Get the ground truth. Get uh, some kind of understanding of physically and absolutely what it is on the ground before you're in the location to photograph. And that really benefited uh, me at the time, which is something I really, really have an opportunity to do in a full sense. Um, but getting a chance to kind of review and see what was going on there a couple of days before the shoot helped me plan out and helped me kind of get a context of where northeast, southwest was, where the landmarks were, where the better viewing angles were, if I wanted things in the frame or things out of the frame. And, uh, and that was pretty, pretty beneficial to me. Um, so when we got set up there, uh, it was really a lot of trial and error, which I think is kind of the untold secret of a lot of these things is it's just sort of sweat and tears as you try and put together a photograph that you're, um, you're going to be kind of comfortable with. In fact, really most of them, they're all blurry, you know, uh, there's very few keepers in this sort of thing when you're shooting in low light. And with this, I was trying to photograph things at, uh, at like 200 millimeters, uh, or more a lot of the time. So at least more than, than a hundred millimeters. And I think the reason for this is to try and try and get the benefits of lens compression. And maybe this is an under talked about part of quality of image. A lot of folks go out there, they get a kit camera by kit. I mean uh, a camera body and lens combo that are sort of attached together. Uh, and oftentimes it's like an 18 to 55 millimeter lens. 55 millimeters is approximately the, the angle of view or let's say the zoom that our eyes perceive. So if you put a 50 millimeter or a 55 millimeter lens on, you look through it and then you also open up your other eye, you kind of notice that things are about the same perspective. Things are about the same size. If you're looking at a, at a flower or something in the distance, it'll be about the same size as what your eye perceives. Uh, naturally. So there's really very little distortion or effect on visually what you're, what you're checking out. However, when you switch over to 18 millimeters, what you're going to see is a lot of distortion, especially further out on the edges. The reason for that is that the, the front of the glass that you're seeing through is a circle and that information or that light is being bent around a circle and then uh, moving through the lens and then to the back and at a really wide angle, there's like distortion out in the areas where the image would vignette. And I think it's like barrel distortion, sometimes what it's referred to. And hopefully I don't have some of that mixed up. But it's really interesting how that works where you get uh, like separation when you go wider out. You'll see, um, especially faces, they'll, they'll bow out or they'll become bigger. And that's why a lot of the time you won't really go for a portrait photograph in that sort of situation with a really wide angle lens because that'll make people's faces look fatter is what it normally gets uh, interpreted as uh, or just uh, more comfortable or more unnatural. And so when people are shooting a lot of portrait photographs, they normally shoot for like an 85 millimeter. I think that's like the big one. Like if you get an 85 F1.4, that's like the, the primo portrait uh, portrait lens for outdoor 
natural light photography. And that's what I see a lot of people use. I also see a lot of people use a 50 millimeter lens. That gets a good amount of compression, but that 84 gets just a little bit more. And that compression on a face in a portrait is one of those things that we as humans, when we observe it, we notice as something that's of higher quality or of a more natural expression where it doesn't look manipulated or it doesn't look um, incorrect or bad. Uh, and it's weird how people kind of interpret aesthetic things like that, but more subconsciously, uh, where we just kind of know immediately and without really recognizing anything on the surface or in our thoughts. But we know if a photograph of a person looks correct or looks natural or appropriate. So that's one of the tricks that people use. The compression that, that you might see um, with an 85 or a 100 millimeter uh, lens that people are doing portraiture with. Uh, is something that helps people look a little bit thinner in a lens or in a camera. Um, people that are a little bit heavier set benefit from being shot with a heavy or with a with a heavy lens, heavy set, heavy lens, uh, which is 100 or 85 to 125 millimeters is probably what what a lot of folks would uh, would consider an average or normal portrait range. Um, with these photos, uh, when we're talking about the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm doing a Winnebago photo shoot. Uh, with these photos, I was working with a 80 to 400 millimeter lens. Lens doesn't really matter, but since we're talking about focal length, um, an 80 to 400 millimeter lens. And the reason for that is that we want that compression when we're doing a few of these landscapes, especially in the uh, the fields of tulips here. And that's kind of to give us um, to give us the sensation that we're looking through uh, more tulips, or we're we're looking through like kind of a deep. Um, set of, of flowers and stuff that are there and the, the compression also helps us cut out unwanted things that might be in the peripheral vision that we might see we can focus right in it's not necessarily zooming but we can get that perspective of something that's a little bit further away and uh, that further perspective also helps us compress things that are further out in the background one of the great things about the wooden shoe tulip farm is its geographical location and the reason i say geographical is uh uh, I think, um, I guess it would be to the north east lies Mount Hood, and it's got a great view of the mountain. There's really no obstructions from that point at the Tulip Farm uh, to Mount Hood, I don't know, maybe 50 miles away, 60 miles away from there. And so it's a great uh, great spot to see it if you get a chance to view it. When we showed up, the, the, uh, the mountain was clouded over, so you couldn't really see anything over in that area. And after a period of time, the clouds kind of burned off, in that section and blew past it and we were able to get a, a couple of really good good views of the mountain that were that was over there and the issue is is if you shoot something at 18 millimeters that mountain is going to almost disappear in the background in the periphery or on the horizon line but if you zoom in really far it's going to show up uh, bigger like if you just wanted to take a picture of the mountain that was really far away you'd have to zoom into it and if you also want to get a picture of this van or the product or the person that you're taking a picture with you have to zoom in in perspective with it so i have to stand really far back like 400 well, i don't know maybe two or three maybe 400 feet at times and then zoom all the way in to the van in this case to this winnebago so that i can also get the the size and shape and and breadth of the, the image of the mountain that I want to get. So to make the mountain look really large in the frame of the photograph, which I'm trying to fill up, I need to zoom in all the way to 400. I get the, the nice large shape of Mount Hood in the background. And then I also get uh, this perspective on the van across these fields of tulips. And everything still kind of looks more or less natural. 
Um, and so this was kind of part of the technique that I was trying to use to get a few of these images. I was also working with a couple, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, well, actually, maybe I shouldn't mention their name, but this great old couple um, worked with me for a while uh, that evening. And so there's a handful of shots that we did that were just just hero shots, as I've been told they're called. I don't know if I appreciate that term as much, but just the the best picture of the side of the, or, you know, that side quarter panel, that front diagonal shot of the vehicle kind of looking on. Um, so I worked on, on those for a while, like a handful of images of just the vehicle looking cool in the environment. And then I spent a good bit of time with the couple as, as like a model or as like, a, I don't know, an actor in the scene. And it went pretty well. They were, uh, they're not like trained models or anything. They're not professional and, and it probably wouldn't require that. But they're uh, avid RVers and drivers and they drove the RV up there. So it seemed to make sense to have them in the picture for a little bit. But it was good to stage a couple of things. We pulled out a, a few things from, from inside the vehicle. I almost never work with props. It's something that I find really unnatural. In fact, I think like, um, I don't know if I've really ever worked with a lot of props or a lot of uh, like setup stuff. Even when I was doing portrait stuff, we almost never used props. We had like a little armrest. I think it was about the only thing that would qualify. A little squeaker make t- kids look over to the camera um, but in this situation we had a handful of props like uh you know like a wine glass wine bottle something to kind of set a scene of some sort i don't know if it was ever really um thought through as well from the perspective of an art director but uh we pulled out what we had and, and photographed them and it worked out really well there's uh, you know at least for for the purposes that it that we need for the time you know for while we we're there so it was cool we you know just set up stuff and I uh, tried to take pictures. I think I was working with three different cameras that evening. Um, so I was working with uh, the Nikon D70. Oh, excuse me. That's totally the wrong camera. I've never even owned a D70. I was working with the Nikon D7000. I almost said another wrong one. Uh, with the Nikon D7000 and uh, worked with probably every lens. Um I also worked with the Nikon D2H, which is my camera that I shoot with most of the time. And I also worked with the Nikon F4. Uh, and I was rotating between the 80 to 400 millimeter lens and the 50 millimeter 1.8. And I think I used another uh, 28 millimeter 2.8 lens uh, during the photo shoot. But a lot of it was just hot swapping lenses to one of the three cameras to get a rotation of stuff. And it worked out all right. A handful of the film images were pretty cool. I shot a good part of an ec- a roll of uh, Ektar or Kodak Ektar film uh, that evening. And like, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really colorful. It's interesting. It's got uh, sort of an interesting texture and shape to it. Um, and I think some of the best low light images, really, they came from they came from the D7000, which is which is what I assumed. I felt like um, like Kodak Ektar was what was in the camera and probably the best film stock I'd have available at the time, but it doesn't really fare that well when you're trying to get interesting low light photographs, at least in this scenario, it's not fast enough. It's sharp, but just in the scenario where we're shooting at anything more than 200 millimeters, it's really difficult to do a long exposure of because just the slightest movement of the camera, since you're so far zoomed in, it moves the the perspective in the lens quite a bit more, an exponential amount more than it would be if you were zoomed all the way out. Um, and it's just kind of a physical germane effect of the, the function of the lens. So when the, the shutter clacks, you know, since it's a physical mirror that has to flick up and then flick back down or flick up, right? 
And then the shutter screen drops down and then the mirror flicks back down and then you see your image and that all happens in, well, I guess in this case, eight seconds or so. Uh, but that flick up on the tripod jostles the, the, the lens on the front of the camera at 400 millimeters. And it's so much that the whole picture just looks like a big blur or it looks like it's uh, it's shaken or, or too fuzzy, even on a tripod. And it's, it's kind of frustrating. There's a handful of methods to kind of move around that. Try to implement as many of them as we could. It's mirror lockup. It's like shutting the screen. Uh, it's doing uh, everything with a remote so your hand doesn't touch the shutter. And there's a couple good options that we got from doing that, but nothing, uh, nothing too stellar because just the low light problems that we had is shooting an ISO 100 uh, film at night with like moving models and stuff. So it was complicated. Some pictures come together. Some pictures never do. I think total, uh, if we're talking about pictures that came together, it was 40, I don't know, about 45 images that I produced from this that uh, that I turned in as part of the project. And there's a lot of them that I really like. I, I try to deliver, you know, I've been trying to think about this before. I've, I've heard of shot lists. I kind of understand it. Uh, that's probably a big area of weakness of mine, at least of like, under, well, I don't know, big area. I don't even believe in shot lists, to be honest about it. I think that it's probably a relatively normal thing. It's not, not really that interesting. Um, you know, if a company is interested in that, it's probably important to understand or, you know, to just get it. But, uh, in this, what I'm talking about is, is trying to like have a list of something like photograph one, you know, like diagonal across vehicle in tulip farm. And then you have like photograph two, same thing, but a portrait image, photograph three, a film image of that. And so it's like a checklist of like, all right, well, I've completed this part of the project. And then when I complete all this work, that's when I'm done. Or like when I get the, the right picture in this shot, you know, in this, in this I don't know, mock-up, um, then that's like when I've completed that part of the job, I can move on from there. And so uh, with this, I was trying to work on a little bit of a shot list or just uh, try and get things that were um, everything with a portrait option, everything with a two thirds to the left crop option and two thirds to the right crop option with a center option as well. Try and get as many things as I could in this scenario, since it's going in advertising, to have a clear um, open sky at the top so that there's no real pattern that has to be duplicated. And you can duplicate sky really easily. You can also duplicate grass really easily. And so, or just, you know, some kind of normal average texture. So the hope is that uh, you can kind of render out, you know, do a clone tool with uh, or duplicate the field that's below and then the sky above to make these graphics uh, stretch out a little bigger for, for print um, or for, you know, just like flyers and, and different things. But the point was to, to just try and build that into the images that I was making so that there's a good bit to sample if it's needed uh, or there's a good bit that, um, you know, can be cropped out if they, if they want to get a little closer when they're trying to build graphics. That's something I hadn't really thought of before. Well, I got to say, I mean, I have thought of it, but, uh, but just kind of considering the placement of the graphics uh, and the image that you're taking. And I've, I've heard about this from other people when they're, you know, talking about f photography tips is um, to understand the need of the art director to understand like um, how the ad is going to be used, if it's going to be in print or if it's going to be offset or pulled to the side or if it'll have to go f like full screen or full frame of the page that you're working on. You just have to work with some 
I suppose it's constraints, but just under, understanding the aspect ratio that your final product's going to be put out in, it's kind of interesting and, and it sort of informs how you have to shoot it. If you have to be a little wider out so that whoever's editing it has room to move the photograph around to fill a square box when you're working with a rectangular, you know, frame of your camera. So it's another thing that's probably pretty straightforward, but it's probably, you know, really necessary and something that took me forever to figure out and to understand. But the outcome, total, 45 images from this photo shoot with the Winnebago. It was a really good photo shoot. It was a lot of fun. Got something that I really like. I really appreciate a handful of these images. Right after sunset, during blue hour, that's one of my favorite times to take photographs. And in this place, really brought out uh, the, ability, the ability for myself to capture images with the sky in, in a good exposure where it's nice and blue purple. That was a, that was a good element of just the, the natural sunset that evening. So that was pretty cool. Um, but it also gives you a nice glow and, and warm, um, regular color from the tulips that are the flowers, you know, on the ground, uh, or just the foliage or, or whatever it is. But the, the lighting is so much more even and so much more simple to work with when you're working uh, in the shade or, or just after a sunset that there's some interesting photographs, interesting styles, and I think more surreal, dreamy styles that you can pick up from that. And what I really like doing is working you know, either, either sunrise or sunset or just before, I should say, just before sunrise, just after sunset is some of the best time to get photographs. And, and that's where, like I was talking about earlier, the film camera started to break down a little bit in the situations where I needed that faster shutter speed because it just, it just wasn't able to produce that at ISO 100. We're talking about 15 second exposures, um, which were just too complicated for me sometimes. But, uh, the ability for like the digital camera for the D7000 to be cranked up to 3200 ISO and be able to capture really very fast um, images, uh, you know, at night almost was fantastic and worked out really well. And uh, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool to get those photographs. Came back, spent about a day editing through them. That's a real son of a gun. I think it was like 700 photographs in total from the shoot and then uh, that's processed down to the 45 that I was talking about and that's a whole series of different pictures uh, ranging from earlier in the evening um, and just like hero shots like side like a quarter side where it's like cropped at the door and it's just the front um, just like a handful of a handful of different things and different periods of the evening too and then with the people had a handful of photographs with the people. Probably three of the photographs are actually going to be picked to be used in any type of rotation for anything that ever comes out. But that's the best that I know of it. So that's one of the first commercial photo shoots that I put together. It's been a quick podcast about that. I guess um, 22 minutes is as reasonable time of any to say thanks very much for listening to me uh, chat and ramble and, and try and get better at podcasting while I've been working here at my home studio doing this as an after after school project for myself and uh, part of it's trying to get better at just like improvisational speaking and the ability to sort of communicate a coherent thought uh, while you understand that you're being recorded and it is pretty surreal getting used to it but it's been pretty fun um, trying to do more podcasts more regularly and trying to put these up at billynewmanphoto.com that's B-I-L-L-Y-N-E-W-M-A-N-P-H-O-T-O.com. That's a long URL to spell out. <laughs> I guess you guys know how to spell my name. Billy and Newman. Can't be that difficult to come across. Just don't trust the Brazilian jazz guitar player. That guy's not me. Cool guy, though.